Welcome back to another episode of the Lord of the Rings fan podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and in this episode, I'm jumping straight into the deep end. We're going to talk about the first age of Middle-earth, which I have no clue about any of this stuff. If you don't know the whole setup of this podcast, go listen to episode one, the introduction of this show, so that you can understand the approach that I'm taking as a complete novice, somebody who has a deep appreciation for those who know so much about the world of Tolkien, and yet I know nothing about it other than the movies that I've seen and and the little bits that I've read here and there. So, with that being said, I want to jump straight into Fellowship of the Ring. But before I do, I opened up this 50th anniversary, one single volume version where all of The Lord of Rings is included together. And I'm like, let me just start from the very beginning and see what all's here. And before there's any foreword or any prologue or anything like that, it's just got this very familiar, uh, uh, what do you call this, poem or rhyme or lyric or whatever from the story. It featured prominently, of course, in the movie. And here's what it says. It simply says this, three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne, and in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. In the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. So I read this and I'm like, okay, I faintly have some understanding of uh, there are elven kings, but why are there different uh, branches of the elves, and I understand there are dwarves, and and so are there. So there are seven different dwarf lords, and uh, there are nine different mortal men uh, who are given rings, and uh, the one dark lord on his dark throne, and who made these rings? I still don't know. I should know this. It's a, I think it's all pretty much clearly laid out in the movies and what I've been exposed to, but it's been many years. And so, again, I am a complete novice to this. If I'm not mistaken, maybe it was Sauron uh, who, who created this, but I really don't know very much about Sauron at all. So, with all of that being said, I was about ready to just start this episode with me reading chapter one from Fellowship of the Ring. You know, basically focused on the pleasant life that's and, and activities of the hobbits in Hobbiton, or maybe I should say the Shire. Um, you know, the Bilbo celebrating his 111st birthday, also in conjunction with his, is it his nephew? Uh, uh, Frodo, who is of age now uh, at 33 years old. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, oh man, what a delightful openings way to, to just create this story. And I got to tell you, as I've, I've already finished chapter one of Fellowship of the Ring, but what I will say is this, it seems so simple, so uncomplicated, so easy to enter the story there. And the one thing that stands out very clear to me is these people are completely, these people being the hobbits, are so completely unaware of the world outside their bubble. And and I'm like, well, the funny thing is, is I feel like a hobbit because I don't know what's beyond the river. I don't know what's, you know, what happens if you get out on one of those boats and travel off to distant lands and... On the other side, uh, you know, (laughs) and so I'm like, hmm, what is it that they're unaware of? 
And as I have been digging around just recently, and by the way, there is, gosh, one could spend an entire lifetime looking at the amazing amount of content that fans around the world have put together in such compelling forms and formats all over YouTube. There are countless podcasts out there. There's just no end to giving you a summarized insight into the various different aspects of this world. So I'm like, I wonder if I should go onto YouTube and, and find that one video that I just glanced by the other day that explains the first, second, and third age of Middle Earth in one fell swoop in a single video. And while I was looking for that, I didn't see it. It was just one of those recommended videos in my thing because of some of the things I had searched recently and I didn't click on it. I didn't add it to my watch later list and so I didn't find that. But I came across this one video from Looper. Now, Looper is a YouTube channel with 5.46 million subscribers as of today and they have brilliant content. Now, when I've watched various different movies that I've gone to and I'm like, I really don't understand the complexity of everything that was just being told to me in this story. And I come home and it's like, explain this, you know, and I go, I come home and I, and and it's like, oh, so that's what I just watched at the movie theater. And same thing with television shows. Looper does an amazing job at explaining things. So they have this 11 minute, 49 second video titled The Lord of the Rings, First Age Explained. So I click play and I watch it and I'm watching this 11 minute and 49 second video and it's like Charlie Brown's teacher in the cartoon of Charlie Brown. If if you're familiar with it, there's this little, it's kind of a a gag where they go to school and they hear the teacher and the teacher just sounds it's it's just like it's in one ear and out the other and I, as I'm watching this Looper video, they're, they're tossing out names and characters' names and, and places, and it just it's just, it's brain overload, completely unlike chapter one of Fellowship of the Ring, of book one of Fellowship of the Ring, I should say. But anyway, I, I'm like, Man, what do, what do I do with all of this? Do I do I just ignore the first age? Maybe I don't need to know anything about the first age and the second age and stuff like that. But I decided, you know what? I'll take that video. I'll have it transcribed. And so I went and had it transcribed. And then I read it. And as I read it, I'm not sure if I have the pronunciations of the names correctly. Uh, it started to make a little bit more sense. And this is why I don't just want to listen to an audiobook. I like to be able to see words and hear narration because if I just see words, I may completely mess up the pronunciations of things. And if I just hear things, I it just sometimes it's just too much. And I I, I kind of want to be able to pause and read and soak in and, and go and move. And so what I decided to do is take this transcript and read to you what Looper shared about the first stage. Now, in all fairness, I give full credit to Looper for creating this script for their video. I'm going to link to this video in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to go and hear Looper read this off far more eloquently than myself, then you can go do that. So here's what I'm going to read to you that that is written about this first age of the Lord of the Rings, or the first age maybe of Middle-earth. Is is that the first age of this world or whatever? So it says here, from, the ar- from armies of dragons to tragic heroes, legions of Balrogs, which I don't know what a Balrog is yet. I, I should know. I think that's probably in the Lord of the Rings, but anyway. Massive wars, foul treachery, and a trio of superpowered gems that make the One Ring feel like your great-grandmother's pearl necklace. Here are the epic events that shaped the first age of Tolkien's Middle-earth. So yes, this is the first age of Middle-earth. The first age comes on the heels of the years of the lamps and the years of the trees. 
Never heard of such a thing. But now we know. The years of the lamps lasts for millennia and finds the Valar, the spirit guardians of Middle-earth, squaring off against the dark Lord Morgoth, whose second in command is Sauron, who will be the scourge of the Third Age. All right, so immediately we now know that there are spirit guardians of Middle-earth, or at least in the First Age, they're the spirit guards of Middle-earth, guardians of Middle-earth, and they're there in Middle-earth, and they are called the Valar. And they actually are fighting against the Dark Lord Morgoth, who's, you know, okay, so so the Dark, and of course, I we don't know where did the Valar come from. We don't know, I don't know who Morgoth is, and how did he get there, and, and all this other stuff. And I don't know if there's anything else that will explain that to me later, but this is what we have in the First Age. By the way, some of you, if you are happen, if you do happen to be a huge gigantic Tolkien fan, you're probably having a good laugh as you listen to these episodes with me, having no clue about what I'm talking about. Anyway, it says this world conflict leads to the years of the trees, which starts after the Valar withdrew to the Blessed Realm. So I guess, I, I don't know, maybe the Val, this might be told in the story of the Simmerillions or whatever it's called, uh, the Simmerillion. But, and, and I do plan on going through that at some point in the future as well. But for, for what I'm hearing here, what it sounds like is the Valar is like, okay, this is enough. We're going to withdraw to the Blessed Realm and just leave this Middle-earth thing because, well, you know, we've had enough. I, I don't know. It says, after the Valar withdrew to the Blessed Realm, that's what actually led to the, year of the, tr- the years of the trees. Now, it says here... Two mighty glowing trees take turns illuminating the continent. So basically, it's the these two different mighty trees take turns providing light to the continent. It says in the following millennia, the elves awaken for the first time. Now, were the elves there and they were sleeping? Or did they just come into being? Now, it does say here, fearing for the safety of these new creatures. So maybe this means that this is when the elves evolved or came to life or came to being. But anyway, so the elves came into being at this for, at this time. And it says here, fearing the, for the safety of these new creatures, the elves, the Valar defeat and capture Morgoth and encourage the elves to come and live with them in the West. And I guess maybe the West is in the blessed realm. Anyway, many elves heed the call while others decided to remain in Middle-earth. So not all of the elves went with the Valar. But we do see here the Valar, it says the Valar defeat and capture Morgoth. Okay, let's just go on to the next line. The next few thousand years are a time of peace as Morgoth serves a three-age-long prison sentence and the elves that went west flourished in the blessed realms. All right, so I guess maybe the blessed realms are in the west. Anyway, so for the next thousand years, a time of peace. All right, so this sounds great. It sounds like there's a time of peace in Middle-earth during the First Age. And it says something here about Morgoth, whoever this guy is, or this being is, or whatever. Morgoth serves a three-age-long prison sentence. Now, okay, is what does three-age mean? Because there's the first age and the second age and the third age of Middle-earth. So if he's serving a th- uh, three-age prison sentence, does he get out somehow? Th- this this is what I want to know. It's like, wait a second. Well, at least for a thousand years, that's a time of peace. And okay, it's at this early date, about a thousand years or so, that both Galadriel, whoever Galadriel is, I, I believe maybe we met her 
Uh, maybe she's the the elven queen that we see in the Lord of the Rings. I'm pretty sure that that's her with the white robes. Maybe I could be wrong. And again, I'm 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 approaching this as a newbie fan. All right. So it's at this early date that both Galadriel and uh, Theonor. I don't know if it's Theonor or Theonor. I'm just working on. I, I, don't, I don't have this written anywhere just yet, so I'm I'm going by what I hear and how the transcription, which I'm using computerized transcription. So it's Galadriel and Theonor are born, all right? With some help from Shelab's distant mother, Ungoliant, anyway, Morgoth destroys the two trees and hightails it back to Middle-earth where many of his servants, including Sauron, has, have been hiding. Okay, so it sounds to me like maybe uh, Morgoth was captured and he was put into prison for a three-age prison sentence, but he seems to get some help from Sheleb's distant mother, Ungoliant, all right? And I have no idea who Sheleb is and who Ungoliant is, Maybe are they elves? I have no idea. But anyway, Morgoth, I guess basically with some help from them, they, he gets free from, and he breaks out of prison, I guess. And he destroys the two trees that have been providing light to the continent. And he hightails it back to Middle Earth, where many of his servants, including Sauron, have been hiding. On his way out of the Blessed Realm, Morgoth kills Theonor's father and stills the Cimmerils. This is the first time I've, you know, of course I've heard of the Cimmerils. I don't, re- I just very barely remember in the Lord of the Rings movie uh, something is being said about the Cimmerils, and I remember it being this glowing object and stuff like that, but I quite frankly didn't know what I was watching. But thank you to Looper, they said the Cimmerils are artifacts even more sacred than the light of Aarendel? Anyway, the light of Aarendel. Yeah, anyway, you get the idea. I don't. (laughs) I'm trying here. It says, the Cimmerils are jewels, and these jewels contain the living light of the destroyed trees. So I guess maybe the elves collected the living light from these trees that were killed and and placed that living light inside of these jewels known as the Cimmerils. All right. In the fallout from Morgoth's betrayal, Feanor rallies his elves known as the Noldor, and convinces most of them to disobey the Valar and leave the Blessed Realm to reclaim the jewels. So it sounds to me like there is some infighting among the elves. All right. This rebellion is cast in disarray when Theonor convinces a loyal subsection of his people to attack other elves as they leave, seizing their boats to sail back across the sea to Middle-earth. As Theonor sails back to Middle-earth with a handful of the Nordor, the majority of the elves are left to find their own way on foot. This group, which includes Galadriel, didn't participate in the seizing of the boats. They decided to head into the frozen north and cross the water at a pass where the two continents are closer together. Roughly marking the beginning of the First Age, the Noldor elves arrive in Middle-earth. So it's trying to explain how these different factions of elves, and maybe we'll get into the Grey Elves in a little bit, and and now there are Noldor elves. And, and anyway, I'm trying to, I, I'm just beginning to, to understand what's going on here. And oftentimes, me 
teaching or explaining what I'm learning is often how I drive it in. So that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast. For me to be able to truly understand what's going on here, I have to be able to process this out, out loud. I'm a verbal processor. So thank you for joining me as I become a fan of The Lord of the Rings. Roughly, okay, so this is also the moment when the Valar, Valar, saddened by the rebellion of the elves, still show their support for them by launching the sun and the moon into the sky to replace the light of the two trees. So the Valar, the guardians of Middle-earth, are saddened by the rebellion, but they still show their support uh, in helping bring light, if you will, to Middle-earth, and thus providing the sun and the moon into the sky. All right, that's that's at least the way that I uh, read this. And it says, in the eastern regions, men then awaken. So it's at this time that men are brought forth into, the, into being. All right? So... While it will take centuries for these men to make their way to the elves, they do exist, and they eventually wander right into the First Age action. All right. Led by Theonor, the, and again, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, uh, the smaller group of Noldor elves, I guess, return to Middle-earth, catching Morgoth by surprise. The villain has set up shop in his fortress known as Angband. Morgoth's seat of power is even more foreboding than Sauron's. Unprepared for an attack by these elves, Morgoth's forces are decimated. Despite Morgoth's resounding defeat, Theonor is mortally wounded by a Balrog. A tough bow or bow uh, for even the mighty Gandalf. I don't even know what that means, but that was included in this video, and it's one of the things I'm absolutely clueless on. But anyway, after a 75-year pause in battle, Morgoth attacks again. But like Sauron after him, faces defeat at the hands of the elves. So these elves are powerful beatings, beings. Emboldened, the elves' attack is, uh, let's see, his ma- mountain fortress, known as the Siege of Angband. The battle lasts close to 400 years. I can't even imagine a battle lasting. A single battle lasting 400 years? Is that what I'm hearing? Anyway, that's what it says here. And these elves um, basically, you know, had, it, do this thing called the Siege of Angband that lasted 400 years. As the Siege of Angband drang, drags on, the elves that aren't fighting on the front lines established the hidden cities of Nargathron and Gondolin. All right, so so basically with, I guess, 400 years of battle, there's so many elves uh, that the ones who haven't yet had to make it to the the front line, they're creating and establishing hidden cities that that can't be found to to maybe to continue to reproduce and to to continue to prepare for future generations to to uh, to carry on this battle uh, beyond what it is today or whatever. But anyway, so there are these hidden cities of Nargathron, Nargathron, and Gondolin. Again, not sure about these pronunciations at all. This pair of fortress kingdoms becomes crucial in holding off Morgoth. Well, that's good. I'm glad they built them. While the prom- primary focus of the First Age follows the Nordor, Noldor, and again, my understanding now that I've actually listened to this once, went, had it transcribed, went through, read the transcription, edited it up for things so that I could read it and pronounce it as much as I can. My my understanding is that the Noldor are elves, or it's it's a it's a tribe of elves or a uh, whatever a faction of elves. While the primary focus of this first age follows the Noldor elves, I, I believe, as they build cities and battle with Morgoth over the Simorils 
Another branch of elven kind is also important, known as the Sindar, or the Grey Elves, all right? Now, uh, they are the elven race of Thrandwil, or Thrandwil, anyway, and his son, Legolas. Now, I do know Legolas. I mean, come on, he was one of the people in the Fellowship, right? So... Um, and, and I, yeah, anyway, so Throndriel, it, it, I, I can't pronounce his name just yet. I'll eventually get these names down. The ones that will be in the Lord of the Rings, once I actually have both written form in front of me, the way it's written by Tolkien and the audio narration to go along with it, I, I will get some of these, these pronunciations down. So while the first age mostly co- focuses on the Noldor elves, there is another faction of elves, such as the Sindar or the Grey Elves. I, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm starting to learn some stuff here. This is pretty cool. Initially, the elves continue to deal with occasional attacks from Morgoth's forces. 200 years into the siege, the first dragon, and it sounds to me like maybe this is the first dragon to ever exist, ever, known as Glaurom, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that's the best I'm going to be able to do at this point, who is basically the ancestor to Smaug, all right? So the very first dragon, Glaurom, appears or comes into being 200 years into the siege. Now, because he is still young, it doesn't take very much at all for the elves to send him scampering back to his master, all right, which I would guess is Morgoth, maybe? I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to put all this together. Uh, after this, the long peace begins. So there, is, this, is this the same peace they were talking about before, or is this a new peace? I don't know. Anyway, I, I think this is a new peace. This is the long peace begins, during which Morgoth remains quiet and the elves remain vigilant. So there's a there's a long period of peace. This is great. Still in the first age, I think we are. <laughs> All right. The long peace is a time of great prosperity and optimism. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Believing that the Silmarils will soon be back in their hands, the kingdoms of elves thrive. During the long peace, men enter Middle-earth's history. Okay, good to know. Wandering in from the eastern lands, many of these men are seduced by Morgoth, just as King Theoden will fall under Sauron's spell in Lord of the Rings. All right, so this is... So basically, so these men are wandering in from the eastern lands, and they are going to be seduced by Morgoth. Um, and uh, it's actually just, let's see, Morgoth, just as King Theoden. Okay, yeah, so some of these men are going to be seduced by Morgoth. All right. However, three clans befriend the elves and join their calls. These men are known as the Adain, or the Three Houses. So not all men were seduced by Morgoth. In fact, there were three different clans. These are the Adain, or the three houses. I think I have that. I think I understand this. This is cool. The long peace ends when Morgoth unexpectedly unleashes rivers of fire from his mountain fortress, leading armies of orcs and balrogs. I know what orcs are, at least I, I see them and stuff like that. I, I, I'll figure out what a Balrog is eventually. And now, at this time, at the end of this long piece, when Morgoth unleashes his river of flowing molten lava, if you will, from his mountain fortress, uh, leading armies of orcs and Balrogs, it says they, he also unleashes a fully grown Glaurom, that first dragon, right? Uh, he, uh, Glaurom attacks the elves, known as, and this is the battle, this is known as the Battle of Sudden Flame. The assault leaves the Noldor elves reeling. 
So the battle of sudden flame and the way that I can remember the battle of sudden flame, it's the end of the period of peace, the long peace. And it is a period where unexpectedly molten flaming lava uh, rivers of of fire is coming down, and there, of course, obviously would be the fire of Glaurom the dragon. So, therefore, the battle of sudden flame. All right, I think I got this. While the battle of sudden flame is a solid defeat for the forces of good, it does lead to two of the most epic events in all of Tolkien's writings, it says. First, the Noldor king, Fingalfin, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing it correctly, becomes so enraged that he rides to Angband to challenge the Dark Lord Morgoth to a single combat, just as Eowyn, or Eowyn, Eowyn, one by one day, let's see, one by one day, anyway, will face the Witch King alone. All right, so... My transcript kind of failed there. <laughs> just, just like um, one day Eowyn will face the Witch King alone, and th- this Thal- Thal- Thingalfin, uh, the Noldor King, the, this Thingalfin, the the Elven King, will will, will d- challenge the Dark Lord one on one to single combat. Okay, great. This duel is intense as the Elf Lord dodges. Morgoth's deadly mace and manages to wound him seven times. Wow. So, uh, Thingalfin, who is the Nord- Noldor elven king, is able to dodge Morgoth's deadly forces and is able to wound Morgoth seven times. That's pretty, the, the, this elven king is pretty darn powerful. However, it says here, despite his valiant effort, efforts, the brave, kin, the brave king, Thingalfin, dies by Morgoth's hands. <laughs> so, but not before wounding him seven times, I guess. All right. Now, it says, nearly 20 years after their initial defeat, the elves gathered their forces and attack Morgoth in one final massive bid for victory. One of the most glorious First Age battles, which, by the way, when I watch movies like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and any other movie that contains battles, I got to tell you, I am just not a fan of battles. I I don't like watching them. I don't like war. I don't like battle. It's just, it's not, it's one of those things that if this battle's going to go on for too long, you're going to lose me and I'm going to fall asleep in the movie theater. Uh, Same thing happens in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. When I go to a Marvel movie, I pretty much start yawning whenever there's a battle. And, you know, it's just like uh, if, if there was a way for me to just have the ability for myself to go to the movie by myself and have a little remote control where I can do skip 10 seconds, skip 10 seconds and just keep going, skip, 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 get to the end of the battle and then get back to the storytelling. Uh, that's that's me. All right. Anyway, uh, let's see here. One of the most glorious first age battles, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears leaves the elven armies in ruins and Morgoth virtually unchallenged in Middle-earth. So there's this one last valiant ditch, last ditch effort for the elves to battle Morgoth. It is this most glorious of the first age battles and it is the battle of unnumbered tears. That's that's easy to remember, right? Maybe, we'll see. But the battle of unnumbered tears, and that just simply means that it's like, listen, it, it, it devastated them, right? While the battle of unnumbered tears makes Morgoth most pow- the most powerful being on the continent, that doesn't mean his enemies are completely defeated. The kingdoms of Nargath- Nargathrond Gondolin and Dorian still remain. Well hidden, these kingdoms are reluctant to resist the resurgent Dark Lord in open. Uh, 
So there are some, there are still many factions of elves in hidden kingdoms. And these hidden kingdoms are Nargothrond, 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 anyway, Nargothrond, Gondolin, and Doriath. Doriath, not Dorian. Doriath. Anyway, I... Again, you get you get the fact that I don't know anything about how to pronounce these things yet. Uh, but they're but they're not ready to come out. They're not ready. They're not ready to fight. So the elves never fully recover from the battle of unnumbered tears. It it, it was devastating. It leaves it left a mark. Weak and divided, they're slowly consumed by the forces of darkness. Now, who's they? It says the elves. The elves never fully recovered. They're weak and divided. Now, I got to tell you, this is when I actually watched the movies, The Lord of the Rings, I never thought of the elves being weak, and I never thought of the elves being divided. In fact, it wasn't until reading or hearing or watching this video from Looper that about the first age that gives me any indication that there was ever any division among the elves. And of course, I didn't know how you know they they that they actually had such you know amazing four hundred year long battles and 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 had such moments of of great victory and also great defeat and of course very seeking uh, serious defeat that left them weak and divided. Uh, and so uh, now that as I go back and I watch the Lord of the Rings and and rewatch those Hobbit movies and. And maybe this is where so much of that backstory has been included into uh, some of these these movies that Peter Jackson did. Maybe maybe I'll start to understand some of this in in much greater depth. But anyway, uh, Morgoth discovers Nargathrond and Gondolin. Uh, the first by stupidity, which I don't know what that means, but I'm sure I'll get to it one day. And the second by treachery and destroys them both. So, uh, there goes that. Romance, however, by the way, in Tolkien's writing, isn't limited to Aragon and Arwen, which I guess Aragon is the, is he the king, the man king, and Arwen, is she, Arwen, is she the, 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 is that Steven Tyler's daughter, daughter, the, what is her name? Uh, yeah, I can't remember, but I, I think I remember that love story. Again, I only watched the movie all the way through once, so there it is. One of the author's most celebrated first age epics is a love story. It's, a, it's the tale of Baron and Luthien. Begins when Baron, a man, escapes into the enchanted kingdom of the Doria after his lands are devastated by the Battle of Sudden Flame. There he meets Luthien. Baron meets Luthien, the daughter, the daughter of the of the elf king, Thingal. Yep, uh, and they fall in love. However, the king is appalled at the thought of his daughter marrying a fugitive and a mortal man. So he jokingly tells Baron that if he can personally get one of the three Simarils from Morgoth's Iron Crown and act uh, even more daring than Bilbo's theft of the Arkenstone, he can marry his daughter. Okay. Um, so wait a second. If this is the first age, if this love story of the first age is about Baron and and uh his daughter and and luthien and the in luthien's father thing thingal right yeah yes thingal makes this joke and and oh wait a second uh may, maybe he didn't say maybe he didn't assume that it would be an act more daring than bilbo's theft of the arkenstone he can, so I, I think maybe the looper script writer is saying that, hey, this would be an act more daring. I'm like, wait a second. Are you saying that Bilbo's theft of the Arkenstone happened and was known and told in the first age? Because I thought Bilbo would have been in also in the third age. But I don't know because I'm new to all of this. But I'm pretty sure that that Bilbo and also it, it, the, the story of The Hobbit and the story of The Lord of the Rings 
I'm pretty sure all is in the third age, maybe. Anyway, we'll find out as we go along. Uh, Baron departs on his quest, but he soon finds that Luthien has come to help him. Side by side, the lovers traveled to Angband, and they do actually still the similar a Silmaril. Throughout the adventure, Luthien pulls off most of pulls most of the weight with her magical abilities. As they return home, the great wolf Kukarov, who makes the hobbits wards look like mere puppets, he, he's Kukarov uh, steals the Simmerill, biting off Baron's hand in the process. Eventually, they hunt Kukarov down and recover the jewel, but Baron dies of his wounds, grief stricken. Luthien also perishes. Their tragic romance is so moving that the couple is returned to life. Now, that's interesting. I would imagine that this, I could be wrong, but I would imagine this story of the first age is probably covered in the Cimmerillion. I'm hoping, or and when I get there, I'll be able to hear all of this story and understand it. But I want to know who brought them, who, who, how did they get returned to life? How did this, who made that decision? Why was this decision made? Anyway, in the process, Luthien is made a is made mortal, and the pair are allowed to return to Middle Earth, where they live for a while longer together. An epic tragedy. Let me say that again. An epic tragedy. The tale of the children of Hurin is the story of brave of a brave chieftain of men captured during the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. So it seems like there's a tale of men here as well, uh, and it's the it's the tale of the children of Hurin, uh, Morgoth. An act more Morgoth during an act more cruel than anything conceived by the Lord of the Rings with witch king tortures Huren, hoping he will reveal the location of the hidden city of Gondolin. Huren, Huren is unwielding or unyielding. I'm sorry. Angered, the Dark Lord curses Huren's family and forces him to witness the destruction of his wife and children. Huren's son, Turin, is at first raised by the elves in Doria, but he flees after he accidentally kills a mocking elf in a brawl. So basically, you know, he's being raised by these elves, but he he flees after he accidentally kills an elf in a fight because he was being mocked. Uh, you know, okay, so so an elf mocks a man. And that leads to a death, and then, of course, he flees. Got it. From there, he would be Turin. Uh, Turin launches into a heroic career to rival that of the Third Ages Boamir. Repeatedly, he rises to glory only to face under ruin. Turin heads into the hidden kingdom of Nargothrond, Nargethrond? Anyway, Nargothrond, uh, where he convinces the Elvish leadership to fight in the open. So remember, the, the, the hidden fortresses of the elves were too afraid to fight out in the open. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're defeated, they're weakened, they're, they're, uh, they're, um, uh, what does it say? Weakened and, and they're, they're at odds with one another. Uh, separated, whatever, uh, leading to the utter destruction of the cavernous underground well realm. So basically, it is this son, Turan, who is responsible for convincing the elvish leadership to fight out in the open. Unfortunately, Glaurom the dragon, deceitful as the hobbits, he's just as deceitful as the hobbits smog, brainwashes Turin, and his sister, Niniel. Under the dragon's enchantment, the two meet, and not knowing that they're related, marry and conceive a child. Eventually, Turin kills Glaurom the dragon. Realizing what they've done, the siblings take their own lives. 
the third age, or I'm sorry, the third great epic of this first age is the tale of Arendelle, the, the Mariner. Uh, let's see here. Directly related to all of the houses of men, as well as the elves, Arendelle is born of Gondolin, born in Gondolin, and flees the city's destruction as a child, escaping the western shores of Middle Earth, where a group of exiles has settled in the wake of Morgoth's resurge in power. Arendelle marries Elwyn, the granddaughter of Baron and Luthien who herself will be the grandmother of Gondor's future queen, Arwen. Are, is your head spinning yet? Mine still is, and I've had time to go over this several times at this point. Anyway, um, the parents of Elrond and his brother Elrus, who begins the line of kings that leads to Aragorn, Arendelle, and Elwing, are a P- Tolkien power couple, <laughs> all right, is what this looper scriptwriter says. Arendelle becomes famous in his own right when he builds a ship and heads out in search of the blessed realm. Eventually, Elwyn joins them. Together, they reach the blessed realm and ask the Valar to return to Middle-earth, these guardians of Middle-earth. Where have they been? Anyway... Valar, I'm adding this commentary myself here, to return to Middle-earth and help their relatives who were on the brink of destruction. The guardians moved by personal sacrifice, forgive the elves, and respond to their call. Once the Valar received Arendelle's plea for aid, they gather a massive army and head head to Middle-earth to face down Morgoth once and for all. Morgoth has grown even more powerful, and unlike his lieutenant Sauron, doesn't need magic rings to inflict his will. Known as the War of Wrath, the conflict that ensues makes the battle of the five armies look like a a barroom brawl. (laughs) <laughs> Basically, the Battle of the five, Ar- five Armies, which I saw in The Hobbit several times, well, it looks like nothing compared to the War of Wrath. Elves, men, gods, eagles, dragons, balrogs, and orcs enter the fray in an all-out battle of good versus evil. Man, I'd love to see a movie of the Silmarillion. Not so much concerned about seeing a 15-minute epic battle of, uh, what is it called, the battle of, or the War of Wrath, but it would still be fun to see all of this story come to life. And not just in little uh, glimpses told of the old days uh, in various different parts of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies. Morgoth's armies are powerful, but ultimately they can't overcome the host from the Blessed Realm. Morgoth is dethroned, and his armies are vanquished. However, the fight is so intense that it breaks the land, causing a flood. As water rushes in the region, it is and it is completely submerged. The event creates the familiar map of Middle Earth that we know from the Lord of the Rings. With the land sinking below their or beneath their feet, most of the elves and Valar head back to the blessed realm. However, many others, both good and evil, choose to head east. Here, the first age ends, and the second age begins, and with it comes a new threat in the form of Morgoth's second-in-command, Sauron, who will prove to be even more power, a more powerful foe. By the way, complete shout-out to Looper. Check out their YouTube uh, channel. It's, uh, let me just go here. I, th- I think it's, j- well, just look up Looper. Let me uh, stop this in the background here. Just go look up Looper, L-O-O-P-E-R in YouTube. You'll definitely be able to find it. They have tons of great 
videos that help explain things that that just are not easy to comprehend in some of your favorite pop culture places. And I am go- I'm going to put a link to the video that gave me all of this insight and information. It will be available in the show notes for this episode. So now I have at least some understanding of this first age of Middle Earth. And I got to tell you, when I watched the video for the first time, I had no idea. But then when I, after I transcribed it and then went through and I was actually breaking it up into the pieces and, and editing it out into separate chunks where it would be easy for me to read in text form. And as I was listening to the video again and getting, you know, trying to put some, uh, what do you call that? Uh, back in the day, fo- hooked on phonics form of of spelling out what I'm hearing as far as names. I I actually believe I understand a little bit of that. And I might actually be able to go back and listen to this episode of me saying these things and pick it up even deeper. And I hope that I was able to share it with you in a way that you maybe even picked up on it at some length, great at a, at a greater depth than I did when I heard it the first time. But I do again want to give full credit to Looper. I did not use did have do not have their permission, but I I do hope that this gains them a lot of new subscribers to their channel, their content, and uh, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been able to share these things with you. And so go check them out over at Looper, guys. I'm not sure what my next episode will be. Should I just go straight into chapter one? of of the fellowship of the ring or will i go and look for a summary of what happens in um what what happens in the second age I, i'm not sure stay tuned and find out and i don't know when these episodes are if you haven't heard the first episode where i talk about the fact that this is just simply a passion project of mine I have over 40 different podcasts, over 4,000 podcast episodes that I've personally done since uh, December 2005. You can find out some of my other shows, such as the Hunger Games fan podcast at hungergamespodcast.com. You can check out the Twilight Saga fan podcast at twilightsagapodcast.com. There's, I mean, a ton of archives of the shows that I've created over the years, many of them with my lovely wife, Stephanie, over at gspn.tv, which stands for Generally Speaking Production Network. That's gspn.tv, not .com. And you can see uh, many of my archived shows. And of course, if you want to learn more about who I am and what I've got going on in this world and what I do for a living, uh, check out cliffravenscraft.com. That's my main website. And also, I encourage you to check out my main podcast called The Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Just go look up Cliff Ravenscraft, look in your favorite podcast directory, subscribe to The Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Until next time, I encourage to take encourage you to take everything you do, including becoming a growing and increasing passion, appreciation, and maybe even understanding of the world of Tolkien. Talk to you soon.